Hi, welcome back to the Quillette Cetera podcast. I'm Zoe Booth, and today I'll be speaking with Claire Lehman, the founder of Quillette, and we're going to be talking about the latest in the Brittany Higgins scandal in Australia and a number of other issues relating to sexual dynamics and culture. Hey, Claire. Hi, Zoe. How are you going? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Massive news from this week regarding the Brittany Higgins rape allegations. Uh, It's not looking very favourable for Brittany Higgins, right? Yeah, well, a lot of our uh, listeners and readers will not be familiar with this case because it's uh, specific to Australia. What happened was a couple of years ago, um, during the Me Too movement, a young woman uh, alleged that she was sexually assaulted inside Australia's Parliament Parliament House. Mm And at the time, this was used as a weapon against the then government, which was led by Scott Morrison. And uh, her name was brought up hundreds of times during question time. So opposition MPs were asking the government, you know, what did you know about this allegation? How did you help this girl? Uh, Did you take it to the police? What did you know? All of these questions were being asked of the government and it was used to embarrass them and to um, sort of construct this narrative that the Liberal Party, which is our Mm -hmm. centre-right party, uh, have a problem with women. Now, whatever you think about the Liberal Party's problem with women, uh, you know, that putting that to one side, the allegation was never proved. And uh, But the thing is, once the allegation was made, the police had to get involved because rape, sexual assault, is a major crime and you cannot uh, raise such issues publicly um, without the police getting involved. So the police did get involved, the ACT police, and then uh, the um, Director of Public Prosecutions in the ACT took it all the way to court. Now, there was a mistrial um, because of juror misconduct. The man who has had the allegation made against him has never, he, he doesn't have a guilty verdict, but he doesn't have a not guilty verdict. And since the trial, there's been an inquiry uh, into the actions of the DPP and the AFP, and all of this new information has come out um, about the police not wanting to press charges due to lack of evidence. Now, the most recent um, stories coming out in The Australian document how this young woman and her partner were involved with Labor operatives Mm -hmm. and were seeking to get Labor ministers on side before the allegations were even made public. So it's a huge scandal for the government. But more broadly, it's an example of how personal or criminal matters are used in politics. And um, it's... it's, uh, It's sort of an ugly example of how something very serious such as sexual assault can be used as a political weapon. Mm -hmm. And this this scandal has just erupted now for for this particular government, the Labor government, and I imagine that it's going to keep going and keep going and keep going and it's going to be... It's kind of ironic because the original allegation was meant to embarrass the former government, and it did, Mm -hmm. but it's now embarrassing Mm. the current government. It's backfiring. Yeah. Mm. And we don't know what happened that night. We're not denying that 
you know, Brittany Higgins possibly was raped. Um, but it's, it's definitely looking bad for her now because those texts have been shown, texts between her and David Shiraz, her now boyfriend. Um, well, there was a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I mean that's an ugly term, but they were conspiring to get politicians to publicise her allegation in Parliament. Um, and so that that I mean, if you if you're getting political figures and media figures, if you're plotting with them behind the scenes mm-hmm. for your own ends, that is a conspiracy. Yeah, and on top of that. The text messages show that they're um, reveling in the fact that they're now famous. Yeah, it's very... So the the funny thing is is that when her allegation came out, there was all of this media commentary about the culture in Parliament, in in Canberra, the culture, the culture, the culture, as if it's some kind of hotbed of sexism. I used Mm. to live in Canberra. I wasn't involved in politics, but I was a federal bureaucrat. I mean... Yeah, maybe there's some hard drinking. Uh, people work hard and they go out drinking at night, sure. But the culture is of of people plotting and scheming mm-hmm. and imagining that they're political players and that they're power brokers. That's the culture. And this, this whole uh, sorry episode reflects that to a T. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a culture of uh, systematic... Misogyny. It's a culture of people imagining themselves and wanting to have power, imagining themselves as power players mm-hmm. and then working to uh, gain mm-hmm. that power for their own agendas. And what this story goes to show is that you can gain power through writing this Me Too movement. You know, Canberra is the place of power and you can get power in many ways. And Brittany Higgins has obviously got some power through claiming whether it's right or wrong that she is a victim. And now we can see, I mean, I was looking at her LinkedIn before and she's got a career paved for her now. This might affect it. But, um, you know, uh, roles at ANU is like diversity and, you know, women's advisor. Um, She's become the face of, um, you know, fighting misogyny in Australia. Yeah, I, yeah, it's definitely... um you can certainly you can jump on bandwagons, uh, activist bandwagons, and and have a pretty fruitful career if you know the right people and have some leverage in media. I think this will not be good. <laughs> uh, it's very embarrassing for anybody involved, and it's um, you know it, it, it's not it's not going to bode well for the people involved any of the people involved mm. including for women right women yeah, in general and, that, and that's an important point look i mean at the height of the me too movement there was a phrase that was used quite often which was believe women or believe all women mm-hmm. do you remember what it was, was yeah it- believe both of them i think believe women believe all women mm-hmm. and <laughs> It's actually a, a really bad slogan to popularize. Um, you know, I, you know, we we want to be able to support victims of crime, of course. But this idea that you that everyone with an allegation should immediately be believed is completely it's it's medieval. I mean, we've moved. Like I, I spent summer reading books about witch trials, mm-hmm. <laughs> people getting burned at the stake for witchcraft in 
um, modern pre, uh, early modern Europe. And what happened in those days was that if you were accused of witchcraft, you had no you had no recourse. If so, if your neighbour didn't like you and accused you of witchcraft, you could be. Uh, burnt at the stake with you know within days uh, and we <laughs> we've progressed a long way since that time and part of why we have progressed as a society as a civilization is because we have the presumption of innocence and this slogan believe all women is a complete repudiation of the presumption of innocence which is a bedrock of our society and it works for women as well. Mm-hmm. Women are accused of crimes. Women are accused of major crimes and they deserve the presumption of innocence as well. This is why we have the court system. This is why we rely on hard evidence, physical evidence, not just witness testimony. I mean, this is so basic to how our society operates that I find it I find it quite aggravating that, you know, these attacks on the rule of law and due process come from people who claim to represent women. Because if you wind back due process, if you wind back the presumption of innocence, women are harmed mm-hmm. as well as men. Yeah. They, these, prote- these legal protections uh, protect mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we're lucky to live in a country that does have a good rule of law, usually has good rule of law, and we have trust in our institutions. And actually, Australians in general trust politicians more than in other countries. Um, So things like this, you know, stories breaking like this could really shake up um, people's trust in the Labor Party, which... So far, I think the the new Labor Party, the new um, government has been quite popular, Mm. Um, but this risks changing this is This is definitely the first political scandal that they're dealing with, and uh, it's a major one, and it's likely to uh, play out for months. And, but you're right. Australia does have high trust in institutions, and I don't actually don't think this will damage it too much because it will be investigated. We know mm-hmm. it will be investigated. We know it will be investigated by journalists and the payout that Higgins received uh, is likely to go to a new anti-corruption um, body set mm-hmm. up in the ACT. So that will be thoroughly investigated. Bruce Lerman has a defamation trial that's undergoing, that's on right now and the court system will take care of it. And, you know, and, and whatever the outcome is, I imagine it, it will be a fair and transparent one. But I don't think, I don't think this scandal will undermine trust so much because mm-hmm. we just have good mechanisms for investigating. We have really good mechanisms mm-hmm. for investigating corruption. Do you think this is the end of the Me Too movement in Australia? It's like the the nail in the coffin do you think yeah mm-hmm. i do uh, because it's not the only it's not the only case that has mm. backfired so allegations against um jeffrey rush backfired True. he received mm-hmm. a defamation payout against the daily Te- telegraph mm-hmm. i believe it was mm-hmm. um there have been other cases of people suing for defamation mm-hmm. so 
Our country has quite strict defamation laws and it has meant that spurious allegations or allegations that cannot be proven have not gotten any traction. And I actually think that's a good thing. Good. Um, okay. And what about the culture of, um, you know, young women working in the working with young men and, you know, this, they were both young people working in Canberra. Yeah. Mm. Um, we know that lots of couples meet in the workplace. Yeah. Um, there's work parties. I think Christmas parties are one of, um, like one of the most common places for sexual assaults to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? Do you think there needs to be some improvement, um, in terms of like the culture of working in Australia? Um, it's, it's a tricky question, to be honest. I've, um, I haven't, there, there's a lot of statistics and activist claims around sexual assault that I'm not sure are entirely reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as I know, from the last time I looked at the Australian Bureau of Statistics, what we would consider serious sexual assault, so um, sexual intercourse without consent, happens most often to teenage girls and the offender is most often someone they know and it's often a family member, an extended family member or some other trusted person that they know, so a teacher, a tutor, an Mm -hmm. uncle, stuff like that. Um, I'm not sure it happens a lot for adult in uh, to adult women. Maybe it does, um, but I think personally, I think there needs to be more focus on protecting children mm-hmm. from sexual mm-hmm. assault uh, because the statistics of of people who are victimised for sexual assault there's many, many, many more children and teenagers getting victimised than there are adults, mm-hmm. and that's for both men and women. Yeah. Young boys are actually have a higher risk of being sexually assaulted mm-hmm. than women in their 40s. Yeah. So my son is at higher risk than I am. Mm-hmm. But we don't talk about that. No. We just don't talk about it. But Most that's what the statistics that. that's what mm. the statistics show. Mm-hmm. So we really need to be protecting our young people. Definitely. You know, I've said before that rape is actually a crime against young people. It's not a mm. crime against women because boys t- young boys and teenage boys are victims too. Mm-hmm. And so we really should we really should be moving away from this notion that it's a crime of a, a gendered crime where mm, men sexism. are trying to oppress women and it's motivated by power. It's not motivated by power, it's mm. motivated by sex and it's a crime against young mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And we recently published a very interesting article by Naomi Schaefer Riley mm-hmm. on that topic um, about how. Ron DeSantis in Florida, uh, the governor of Florida, would like to introduce laws um, to execute uh, abuser, child, child abusers. Child sex offenders, yeah. And her argument, which I found really interesting and very persuasive, was that if like children are already reluctant to testify against adults because, People, as you were saying, they most uh, of the time they know the adults, mm-hmm. so this would make them even more hesitant yeah, that's if right. they knew that, you know, their uncle or stepdad or whoever yeah. it is yeah. could be executed. Yeah. 
Yeah. It would make them reluctant. That's right. And um, the, one of the most sad statistics when it comes to the child abuse is the statistic showing that children who live with adults who are not related to them are 10 times more likely to be abused than children who live with their biological parents. And um, Jonathan Haidt has said in a talk uh, years ago that the most dangerous person in a child's life is mum's boyfriend. Mm. Very scary. Mm. And I don't think many people know that because, as you were saying, there's uh, we think of sexual assault often as a gendered thing and then we've got this idea of stranger danger that you know people who get raped are women who are jogging in the park late at night and yeah so both political Mm. sides have their own narrative Mm. about sexual assault so the left has this narrative that uh, it's a tool of oppression by the patriarchy Mm -hmm. and that uh, rape is motivated by power which is wrong And the right has a narrative that children are at risk of stranger danger. They're at risk of, you know, there's there's child, you know, there's a there's this cabal of elites Mm -hmm. who are kidnapping and trafficking kids. You know, the whole QAnon thing, Mm -hmm. which is stupid. (laughs) Both are wrong. Kids are more likely to be abused by people they know, so people in their family. And then the the feminist narrative is also wrong. It's Rape is motivated mm-hmm. by sex mm-hmm. and it's it's not necessarily. And the reason I say that is because, look, if it was really about power, wouldn't older women be targeted more than 15-year-old girls? Mm. Whereas, you know, the most dangerous time for a girl, for a woman to be targeted is when she's a teenage girl, when she has no power. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why I think it's not really about power at all. Hmm. Um, and what adv- or what do you tell your kids or how, how would you educate your children? I mean, your, yeah. your girl's not quite a teenager yet, but in a few years yeah. she will be. And Yeah. Um, that's a good question, actually, because, uh, you know, my kids are too young, but when... What I would do if I was in charge of advising kids, young people, particularly girls, is I would tell them that, uh, firstly, if something happens to them that they don't consent to, they should go to the hospital straight away Mm -hmm. because we live in a society where if you want to convict, you need evidence Mm -hmm. and you need to collect evidence immediately. Uh, secondly, there are some there are some red flags you can pick up on. Um, you know, we know that sex offenders are are like other criminal offenders in that they're high in dark triad traits, so psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and narcissism, and you can you can pick up on red flags, um, and you know off. Uh, another myth about offenders is that um, their sex offenders are incels, right? Mm. They're sex-starved incels. Mm-hmm. But um, some of the empirical data shows that the men, some men who commit these acts, 
are not in cells at all and they're quite used to women actually consenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and when a woman doesn't consent, they just sort of yeah. dismiss it and they just railroad over her. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, you have to watch out for the narcissists and the the men who are not going to take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And there, there are certain red flags you can mm-hmm. be attuned to. Mm-hmm. And coming back to the Brittany Higgins case, um, she had been drinking the night of the alleged incident, um, incident, and she argued that she was she could barely walk. But CCTV footage has come out to show that she could walk. Yeah, um, I'm not denying that she was drinking though. It was a party. Mm. Um, now Camille Paglia would say that um, you know if you go back to a guy's room and you've been drinking. Um, you should be conscious of that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that you're taking a risk in doing that and you should take responsibility for that risky situation that you're putting yourself in. Fe- you know, traditional feminists would say that's That's, that's victim blaming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think about that, about women putting themselves in situations where they're more at risk? And- uh, that's a tricky one. Mm. Spicy topic. (laughs) Because nothing excuses Mm -hmm. rape. Nothing excuses sexual assault. And I don't care how drunk someone is or how, you know, how they're dressed or how much they've led someone on. Mm -hmm. There's no excuse for Mm -hmm. it. At the same time, I don't think it's unreasonable to um, be alert to your environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a woman, you're a mm-hmm. woman. We don't we're alert to our environment mm-hmm. when we cross the road. Exactly. Like I'm not going to walk in front of a car mm-hmm. and expect nothing to happen mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um and I think but I do think it's I like just to share my own experience, I've been in lots of situations with men where uh, I would have been vulnerable, like mm-hmm. I've been drunk and alone and sleeping on a, in their bed, and I've never been, you know, taken advantage mm-hmm. of. And that's because I trust trusted mm-hmm. trusted the men I was with, and mm-hmm. they were good men mm-hmm. or boys at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and you know, I so I, it's I don't want to make the point that we shouldn't have high expectations of mm. male behaviour. I think we should definitely have high mm-hmm. expectations. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, every person has a responsibility to look after themselves. Definitely. And I would just say, like, I I just wish more feminists would tell young women to go to the bloody police mm-hmm. if something happens. Just go. Mm-hmm. make Like, file the report. Go to the hospital. Get the evidence. Just do it. Don't, like, sit on it for a few days thinking about it. You don't have to you don't have to continue with mm-hmm. it if you don't want to, but just get the evidence collected. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. And part of the issue is probably that um, so many people, for example, feminists like Clementine Ford, for example, <laughs> that, you know, ilk, yeah. um, Say that police don't care oh, that that's they never believe women. Irresponsible. It's yeah. terribly irresponsible to tell people that police aren't going to do a good job mm. or the court system is not going mm. to do a good job. Yes, it's hard to prove crime, and there's good reasons exactly. for that because we don't want to send innocent people to jail. But that doesn't mean they're not going to do a good job, mm-hmm. and they don't care. They they very much care. Yeah. 
we've got one of the best, you know, police forces and um, rules of law in, in the world, right? It doesn't get much better than here. Um, not to say that they don't mess up sometimes, but, yeah, I've got trust in the police and if if I were to, you know, be assaulted, I would go straight there and wouldn't question my treatment. It's all um, about evidence. I mean, yeah. they do what they can they do what they can with the evidence available. And the way they collect the way they can collect evidence is by going and reporting as soon as a crime has mm-hmm. been committed, basically. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to leave it for weeks, months, years, I mean, they'll do what they can, but there's not much that mm-hmm. can be done if there's no evidence. Mm. Yeah, so if I had a a daughter, hopefully one day I do, (laughs) I would definitely try to educate her on both things, right? That there's personal responsibility. Yeah. um, Because there's always going to be bad actors out there. Those dark triad personality types, predators. Yeah. You've always got to be aware of that. But also that, you know, men do have responsibility over their actions as well. Yeah. So, and if I have a boy, I will obviously educate him to be a gentleman and and chivalrous yes (laughs) chivalry is not dead yeah um yeah it's a hard time to be a young guy though because you know we know from the statistics that young people are having less and less sex Mm. i believe um and getting into relationships later and losing their virginity later um maybe covid had something to do with that or being online spending so much time interacting on social media and not in in person yeah um, you have to be in person to have sex yes well <laughs> some of these zoomers are doing some pretty creative things i've heard um but yeah it's really hard for for guys to um approach women today i think mm. you know it depends a lot depends on sort of the social class that you're operating into i think in more working class areas um, it's still fine to like go up to a woman and you know approach her in the pub or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, but among more like educated professional women, um, that can be you can be risking a lot by going yeah. up to those women. I think it I think it differs quite remarkably according to local culture. So hmm. where I grew up in Adelaide. I think there was perhaps an uneven sex ratio. Mm-hmm. I think there were more, maybe more girls than boys. Okay. And that meant that we had to pursue men. Really? Oh, yeah. And I and and there were these narratives about, you know, um, you know, women women being the victims of all of this sexual harassment and I was like where <laughs> what no one's sexually harassing yeah, us yeah there aren't enough men <laughs> <laughs> you know we had to we had to pursue men and um you know I used to think to myself more you know I've I've spilled more tears mm-hmm. over not getting phoned back mm-hmm. or called by a guy than I have by you know being like hit on mm. by someone who I didn't want to hit on me like yeah I'm seriously like it just there was a a, a lack mm-hmm. of malattention not too much mm-hmm. um but that was one particular city Town. at a mm-hmm. particular time and it may have changed and I don't want to generalize from that milieu the social milieu that I was in to other social milieus I'm sure that in many other environments it's completely different and and males behave in a boorish manner towards mm-hmm. women like I don't doubt that for a second mm. 
But, you know, things like sex ratios do make a difference. And so you'll find on university campuses now that there are more girls than boys. And um, and in profession and in professional contexts, you know, it, it like like the balance of how many men and women there are it does sort of change the dynamic. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sort of old now, so I don't really know what it's like out there. <laughs> but and I don't really we live in our own little bubble here at Quillet. I and I've. I mean, you've talked to me about how it's hard for young men. I don't know enough young men hmm. to be able to say. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Like, I mean, maybe you can share some some of your observations. Yeah. That's just going off what I've seen, you know, at bars yeah. and clubs, but also yeah. online. Yeah. So it's so easy now to screenshot texts. Yeah. So with so many people on dating apps, um, a guy can, you know, make a faux pas, say something that's, you know, a bit off or just awkward. A lot of guys are really, really awkward. And I think women underestimate how nervous guys get when they talk to girls online or in person, especially in person. And like when I was in Melbourne, I overheard a girl at a cafe talking about a guy who mansplained winter to her. She was talking to a girlfriend. Oh, this guy said that now that it's winter, I may be feeling cold. How, how ridiculous, how much, you know, how disrespectful that he mansplained such a stupid thing to me. And in my head, I was thinking the guy was either really old yeah. or possibly a bit autistic or just very like awkward and nervous. Yeah. And was like, oh, I want to talk to this girl. What do I talk to her about? Oh, winter. <laughs> you know, I think that's endearing as long as men um are respectful and yeah yeah yeah. don't um intrude your personal space too much um and listen to you when you say hey i'm chatting to my girlfriend tonight really not keen to talk to you or i don't say that but as long as they pick up social cues and are respectful yeah it's a really it's a real uh failure of theory of mind or empathy isn't it Mm -hmm. to to assume that someone's being condescending to you when they're Mm. really just quite awkward mm-hmm. um, I don't know why that is the case mm-hmm. maybe um, so Camille pa- <laughs> what Camille Parlier describes herself as being uh, she's she's called herself transgender right yeah and she is in a same-sex relationship mm-hmm. and so she she purports to understand male sexuality mm-hmm. which gives her some insight into uh you know, the male-female dynamics. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting and probably correct. Um, if you have no curiosity or insight into how powerful male sexuality mm-hmm. is, then of course you're not going to be under... Mm-hmm. Of course you're going to misread um, communication signals yep. mm-hmm. from men and maybe you're going to interpret awkwardness in a more sinister or mm-hmm. negative manner. Mm-hmm. But if you have a bit more understanding, as in you understand how powerful mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. really is, then you're going to have compassion. Exactly. Because the way I view male sexuality is that it's a curse. I don't want to be particularly afflicted with, you know, 10 times the amount of testosterone mm-hmm. than what I have and mm-hmm. be having intrusive thoughts mm-hmm. in my day-to-day mm-hmm. life. Yeah, it's overbearing. 
Especially when men are young. Yeah. I mean, who wants that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think I think compassion is probably mm. uh, a, a better response initially. Obviously, if someone's being patronising and condescending, obviously you can sort of mm-hmm. update. Mm. But I think compassion is not a bad place to start. No, I'd love to see a lot more compassion between the sexes. Um, especially f- coming from women to men. Mm. I think it's very unpopular to show any sort of compassion for men, as we can see in this Brittany Higgins case. Um, you know, people are so quick to assume the worst of men and mm. have no compassion um, when bad things happen to them. Um, and, yeah, I think it's it's not a nice yeah. culture to, to be in. You know, when there's no, there's such distrust yeah. between the sexes. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. But you know what? It's not, it's probably not that bad mm-hmm. to be a young man at the moment if you have a bit of sort of drive and um, confidence because, you know, I, I actually think victimhood culture is worse for women Mm-hmm. Because it encourages women to perceive themselves as victims. And as soon as you perceive yourself as a victim, you're less likely to sort of take risks and see yourself succeeding and taking opportunities and pushing yourself further. Mm-hmm. And so because men are not seen as victims, maybe that's going to create an environment where they actually succeed. Mm-hmm. Because you need to be... Uh, resilient and tough to succeed. And so we've sort of set up this environment where women are uh, perceiving themselves as fragile victims and men have to suck it up and toughen up and that's just exactly what's going to happen. So my prediction prediction is that you'll see more male entrepreneurs, Mm. fewer female entrepreneurs, not that entrepreneurship is everything, but it's Mm -hmm. one proxy for risk-taking. Because they have to be tougher in this mm-hmm. environment, in this cultural environment. And so we're sort of putting putting pressure on men because we're not sympathising them and empathising with them. That's going to drive them to be more successful. Interesting. I've never thought of that before. <laughs> it's a prediction. I could be wrong. Yeah, we'll see. We'll watch this in a decade's time and see what <laughs> yeah. happens. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about today? No, Zoe, thanks for the chat as always, and I look forward to chatting very soon. Yeah, speak to you next week. Cool.